This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, I'm Grace Ho, Insight Editor for The Straits Times. No, you didn't hear it wrongly. The opinion section in ST has been renamed Insight. But let's continue with In Your Opinion, a podcast series by The Straits Times that takes a hard look at social and political issues of the day. The nominated Member of Parliament, or NMP scheme, was introduced by then First Deputy Prime Minister Go Chok Tong in November 1989. It was meant to evolve a more consensual style of government where alternative views would be heard and constructive dissent accommodated. But 32 years later, and with 10 opposition MPs in the House, is the scheme still necessary? Here to share their experiences are two former NMPs. Anthea Ong, also the editor of a new book called The Nominated Member of Parliament Scheme, Are Unelected Voices Still Necessary in Parliament? And Nicholas Fang, Managing Director of Black Dot Research. Welcome to the show. Hi. hi Hello, thank you for having us. Now, Anthea, Nicholas, first of all, can I say one thing about the book? It's not what I expected. (laughs) By this, I mean that I expected a rose-tinted take on the NMP scheme, but instead I found it to be honest, introspective, and it doesn't shy away from the not-so-nice parts of being an NMP. So, Anthea, why did you want to do this? Yeah, I'm so happy to hear you say that. Um, The way you describe the book is, I think, exactly what we would like the book to be. You know, that whole take on um, being honest and being introspective and making it personal also for the contributors to share their stories. Why did I want to do it? I think the first thing that comes to mind is I was so inspired by my experience in Parliament for two years. So that inspiration, that immensity of gratitude for that experience um, really came to me last year after one of my meditations sessions. And I thought, hmm, uh, why hasn't there been one book on NMP? I mean, there's lots of academic text and commentaries and stuff, but there isn't actually a book dedicated to NMP, right? The, the NMP scheme. So that's one. So inspiration. I think the next one, I must say, it's coming from more a place of just being really impatient. Every time you talk to people about NMP scheme, they either stand on the side of, oh, yes, NMPs have added value and, you know, it's made um, parliament debates more robust and all of that. But then yet, nothing has really been done to strengthen the institution further. Um, and on the other hand, obviously, you have, you know, the, the same cry that, oh, it's not democratic, they're not elected. Uh, on that note, I must say that I would like to share with you that your subtext of the the book title is Are Unelected Voices Still Necessary in Parliament? So I guess it's that impatience, like, you know, it's it's not so not so binary, lah, right? I mean, that's the whole point of a parliamentary innovation, that we're trying new possibilities. So that's that's where I would like to sort of ask these questions in the book. Um, the third is that it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun to just um, be bringing all the NNPs together, you know, and... Um, Bossing us around, <laughs> chasing us in headlines. <laughs> And, and I think it's so cool to then be able to sort of, you know, traverse the, the seven parliaments or eight parliaments, actually, and to be able to hear different, you know, uh, views, get to know different NMPs, because it's only been 97 NMPs appointed, including the current batch, since 1990. You know what I mean? Like, so it's quite, 
That's a lot. Yeah, it's, still. It's, a, it's a lot, but it's also not a lot if you think about about it, right? So yeah, so so yeah, it's interesting. It's exciting, and especially to just push the you know push the narrative a little bit further. So Nicholas, what made you say yes to Anthea? Was it also after a meditation session? <laughs> I, I tend not to spend too much time meditating. I should probably do a little bit more. Um, but I, I came in as an NMP in 2012 uh, after the 2011 GE that saw uh, the AHPETC uh, GRC uh, going to the opposition. So we started to see a, a, an increase in the number of opposition voices, which sparks a bit of the discussion around whether NMPs are still necessary in the sense of having alternative views. If you have elected non-main party MPs in the in the House, isn't that enough? So, you know, I thought that uh, I was in a very interesting position in the two and a half years. We can talk a little bit about later about the, the stuff that went on in that particular term. Um, but we also, you know, when, when this question of let's talk about the NMP scheme, talk about its relevance, continued or, or otherwise, the opportunity to contribute a chapter, I think, was was quite important. My chapter is very much focused on the sports NMP. The, there isn't a fixed position every term for a sports NMP, but I w- would like to think that there should be. And this speaks to a broader issue about the role of the NMP and the role of the House, the role of Parliament as well. Is it just there to, to discuss issues that are channeled from the ground up where the elected representative would be the best voice? Or should it be looking at issues that pertain to the whole of society and the current and future development of the society, which then would include, you know, slightly more esoteric issues like sports, like a discussion around media, international affairs, uh, NGOs, academia, which are some of the different um, sort of pillars or, or functional groups that NMPs come from to, to represent that voice. And I think that we should, you know, in, in the sort of highest legislative body of the country, not only look at, at sort of, you know, day-to-day type of issues, there should be a representation of everything that people think about, talk about, and that impacts other people in, in society as well. And I, of course, feel very strongly about the issue of sports, which is one of the topics I spoke about quite a lot in, in the house. Yeah, so, you know, I had a chance in the chapter to make the case for why we should maybe enshrine and have uh, a permanent sports NMP representative. It's not to say that that elected MPs don't say anything or, or, or represent or, or talk about issues surrounding sports. They do. I have a few friends, you know, who are MPs who were and are MPs who are, you know, sports crazy. But uh, they have other things to represent, you know, the, the views of their constituents and things like that. So it's not bad to have, you know, for certain specific issues, a representative for sports. And I think, you know, we that functional group was uh, media, arts and sports. And, and I think all these three areas really deserve a voice in parliament. And, uh, you know, I think I still, well, in a nutshell, if you, you have to go and read the book, I don't want to give too much away, but I think uh, you know, at least my conclusion is that there's still a role uh, for the NMP in, in parliament today. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now, holding that thought about enshrining, you know, certain issues and NMPs in Parliament, Anthea, I mean, obviously Nicholas came on board, but was it hard to get other former NMPs to speak to you for the book? Did they have any concerns? Well, thankfully, no. In fact, I, I will reveal that the first NMP, former NMP I reached out to was Dr. Kanwaljit Soin. So, so I think just to take a step back, right, the approach was that I thought about the book, what it would be. It must be 
you know, personal reflections with commentary of their views on the scheme blended into the essays. It should be honest and introspective, as you said, right, and inspiring as well. And so that guided who would be the NMPs I would reach out to. And to Nicholas's point, um, it was also important for the very specific areas that affect Singaporeans that NMPs have represented over the years, right, to be featured, which is why I reached out to him. So interestingly, no, I think part of it must be because there hasn't been a book. So the idea itself was um, was quite um, a curious one for many of them. That doesn't mean that I didn't get turned down. You know, I still am crestfallen that I did not have the last one that I really want to come through. Two turned me down, two I turned down. And the ones who turned me down really was a matter of um, bandwidth and not so much um, not wanting to be part of this project. The two I turned down were, were more because it would be a repetition, right, to the others. So that's, I mean, you're an editor, so you understand that whole sort of editorial strategy and responsibility. But actually, interestingly, it's just been such a smooth process and engaging with each of them has just been, yeah, it's really quite special in itself. There were only 10 applications for the 1992 batch of NMPs, but there were 61 applications for the current batch, which is the highest number ever. So going by the number wanting to join, you'd think that the scheme has gained wider acceptance. But Anthea, you write in the book that accepting something is not the same as embracing it. What do you mean by this? Yeah, I think maybe for me, it's more that when you accept it and you accept it in a passive manner, that the scheme is there, exists, there is a why to it, but do we truly step up, show up to realize that why, that vision? You know, so what I mean, and I'm not trying to be cryptic here, but I think um, Nicholas alluded to that earlier, right? That, you know, there is a very clear why for NMP scheme to be introduced in the first place. And yes, that was back, you know, 32 years ago, two opposition members, you know, a clearly a single party dominated parliament. The electorate was asking for more diverse voices. And that's why the scheme came about. And it started with two NNP, so not the nine that we know today. And over the years, that's changed. But I think, you know, accepting it and then keeping pretty much the mechanism and the mechanics of it the same for the last 30 years is what I mean by passive acceptance, right? There have been slight changes, you know, extending the term from two to two and a half years, you know, institutionalizing it, making it permanent uh, into the constitution instead of it being uh, a choice that each parliament would make. But I, I see that as just sort of cursory. There's so many more, so much more that we can do. So embracing it really would mean two levels. One, at the individual level, you know, how each NMP shows up. That's a sacred seat that we've been given. And what are the voices that you are actually bringing to the house? Um, the second is the system itself. You know, how do we actually embrace the system in its entirety and more looking at it as what is the parliament that, you know, that we deserve as society has evolved over the last 30 years. So that's that's what I mean by, you know, accepting it's not the same as embracing. Right. So, Anthea and Nicholas, I mean, you've obviously mentioned the part about, you know, how critics say that maybe the scheme is losing its relevance um, in light of greater opposition gains. I mean, basically, you know, as you kind of alluded to, the idea is that elected MP can also provide that alternative voice. Uh, personally, I'm ambivalent. Um, I recall during COVID-19 in 2020, listening to the former NMP voter, Thesira, 
on this uh, universal basic income cash payout. And um, let's just say that I remember it being quite a thick paper. And at the time, I thought there's no way any sitting opposition politician could match that level of detail, that amount of work that went into that paper. But perhaps I'm overstating what NMPs bring to the table versus opposition politicians. What do you both of you think? When I was thinking about this particular question, I think that you know one of the general concerns that I have is if we see polarization in, in parliament, in the House, that's purely on political lines, right? Uh, party A versus party B, for example. Then you inevitably will see issues being raised and framed uh, along those lines. And where I feel that it's, I think, uh, again, Anthea sort of alluded to the notion of it shouldn't be a binary issue. At the same point, I feel that arguments shouldn't be, you know, I'm for party A or I'm for party B. And then the debate goes along that line. Uh, NMPs can come up and give a third point of view, right? So when we talk about alternative, it's not just alternative to one view. It could be alternative to to whatever views there are. Uh, and it could come from a position of deep expertise and experience in particular fields that, that the elected MPs may or may not have. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Prof. Walter, he's super experienced in, in a range of different things transportation and, and, and obviously the, the paper that you, you referenced as well. And we have seen NMPs over time who have come across and seen who have this kind of deep expertise and can raise views that, you know, I would assume an elected MP on either side of the political divide will be like, oh, you know, never thought about that and certainly never thought about that in, in a political frame. And that enriches, really enriches the, the debate beyond, uh, you know, what I foresee as potentially increasingly contested, you know, sort of political debates. So I think that relevance remains. But one of the points that I thought about was, you know, whether the scheme remains relevant or not. It, it really is less dependent on the scheme. It's more dependent on the people who come forward. If you have people who embrace it in the right spirit, who are there to contribute, who are there to um, take views that, you know, really are alternative as opposed to just alternative to the establishment, for example, um, or alternative to the opposition in that case, um, then you really have a very rich uh, uh, contribution to the discussion and the discourse in parliament. So when you talk about having 61 people applying as opposed to 10 in the early days, I think that's a great step forward. Uh, most importantly, they have to come at it with the right spirit want to contribute, want to leverage on whatever tools and expertise that they have to enrich that debate. So the scheme, relevant or not, I think is, is really driven by the people who come forward to to volunteer and step up in, in that capacity. I don't know, Anthea, whether you agree. No, I think that's, uh, I definitely agree with you. And I think I actually really like that reframe that you made to the word alternative, right? We use alternative a lot and and that in itself can actually mean, you know, coming from a binary narrative again, right? It's, it cannot be alternative to just the one in front of you. Instead, maybe it's looking more at continuum, right? That you're not always staying at the end of the pole of the spectrum, but then, you know, what's along the continuum? And especially in this world that we are in, you know, which is complex, uncertain, we talk about VUCA, right? Ambiguous uh, and all of that. Um, you're never going to get a clear, clean answer to challenges and problems all the time. NMPs actually have the flexibility and the privilege because we are non-partisan. We, well, we don't have the whip on us, so we don't have to tow a certain party line. And to Nicholas's point, we are also able, whether from, you know, the, the live experience or the ground experience or the expertise, the professional expertise, to actually bring more colour 
right, to an issue that brings us from not the white, not the black, but then let's actually look at the different shades of grey, right, that we need to think about in an issue. I think that's really a powerful, you know, value added to the August Chamber. I think the other thing when it comes to the relevance of scheme, I would say that, yes, definitely, you know, it's about the person, um, which is also why, you know, we got a bit cheeky. We actually dug out some data. And so I'm not going to give too much away. You'll find that all in the book. We dug out some data to show basically sort of the engagement, all right, of uh, NMPs versus MPs. And you see that some MPs, of course, also don't speak up as much, but also NMPs. And I, I would say that for NMPs, you really cannot not speak up. Right, because there are only nine seats that are given uh, for this particular system, and I feel that, to Nicholas's point, that's so important. And you must come in with the right spirit. It's a it's a sacred responsibility. It's it's a deep privilege to be able to serve that way. But the other part I must say is also to look at also not be too, you know, beholden to this whole concept that is becoming a little bit outdated. And we're also starting to see maturing democracies around the world that, you know, to just stay with a two-party system, right, which to Nicholas's point, the increasing contestation, polarization, if we don't start to arrest it now and we are already getting some of these glimpses of it, some very real, uh, from the US and the UK. This is a great opportunity for us to see, hey, maybe it's not a two-party opposition ruling party type of a narrative. Maybe it's maybe a three-branch type of a parliamentary system that could always provide the check and balance, that could prevent us from going into the partisan yields that we're seeing around um, the world. Uh, especially for a small country and parliament like ours. So I think I do see the relevance in the scheme, but not not necessarily just in its current form, I think. Thank you, Anthea, for coming on our show. Thank you, Grace. Very happy to be here. And Nicholas, it was great to have you on too. It was awesome. Thanks so much for, for having us. And that's a wrap for In Your Opinion, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Grace Ho. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles or check out the opinion section of The Straits Times, we have links in our podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.